What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Jiu-Jitsu Radio. I'm here with my co-host, Gorilla Boy, BJJ. JJR? That that looks like two L's. You got to flip it. What about? There you go. Now you're getting JJ Radio? I can't do it. I'm not throwing up gang signs. Anyway, thanks again for joining us. Thanks again for supporting the podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, share the podcast with your friends. Any way you are listening to it, we're there, and we appreciate your support. Also, don't forget to check out the website, jujitsuradio.com. You can pick up some of our gear, including the latest shirts that uh, I've working on. What? Not you can, you should. You should. You should. I'm not giving you the option. Like he said, I'm not giving you the option. You Check should. out jujitsuradio.com. Follow Sean at Gorilla Boy BJJ. Follow me at Sonder Marketing. But most of all, don't forget to check out our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Chocaloha. Check out chocaloha.com. Use the promo code jujitsuradio to get 20% off your entire order. Doesn't matter if it's brand new, just literally got released. You can pick up a rash guard, spats patches you name it they got it and you get it at a discount just put the promo code jujitsu radio at the checkout it is still getting shipped so don't forget that you should support the community by supporting these sponsors also don't forget best way to keep yourself clean healthy and avoid the that er room is by just using soap and water super simple nothing too crazy and you can get yours at jujitsusoapco.com use the promo code jj radio to get 10 percent off your entire order you might be able to even pick this up pretty soon. Oh, what's that? Uh, don't worry about it, but you'll what's find that? out. You'll find out soon enough. Just go over to jujitsusoco.com. Use the promo code JJ Radio. Keep an eye out for all the latest drops. Get yourself a discount with that promo code at checkout. You'll be glad you did, and you can thank us later when you're feeling all sexy in the shower. You're welcome. Also, don't forget. Last but definitely never least, giraffe choke. Dot com is the place where you can pick up some of the coolest gear from Giraffe Choke. And when you use our promo code JJ Radio, you'll get 25% off orders of $99 or more with free shipping. So it's, it's kind of like almost free. So it's like 70, like 30% free. Because if you include shipping, that's like 30% free. You can pick yours up at giraffechoke.com. You can snag yourself up a Superman punch hat or shirt. My favorite is actually the heel hooker now. I've been rocking my heel hooker hat a lot more than usual. So you can get yours too. Shipping's still going on. Get yours. Now, we got someone really special on the podcast today. Someone that I've been wanting to get on here since day one. Hands down, one of the best grappling coaches of all time. On, on the planet. On the planet and definitely at all time. And maybe, maybe even the universe. I'll even go far as to say he's probably one of the best grappling coaches in the entire known universe. Facts. Fight, me. Facts. fight me. I dare you. I dare you to fight him more than anything. He not only has been the head coach for MMA teams like the Black Zillions, Extreme Couture, and Alliance MMA. He is a Navy vet. He is an air marshal vet. He is the godfather of filth. The ground marshal himself, Coach Neil Melanson. Big round of applause. Yay. You can't be back. <laughs> Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. 
And nobody can hang with myself. Keep stealing, woo, wheel of dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators off. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, the godfather of filth, the ground marshal and air marshal himself, Neil Melanson. Coach, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So that was quite an introduction. Oh, trust me. You wait till you hear the other one. I already have it all written out. So wait. Till I, I, I I have a better one. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's the, it's, what's up, Neil? I call him the Ronnie the Ronnie Lot of grappling. Ronnie Lot. Uh, yeah. you, you guys, I don't know, Alex. I don't know if you understand this, but uh, Ronnie Lot during the 1980s almost lost his pinky in order. Uh, well. No, he damaged his pinky. You don't even know. <laughs> yes, I do. He lost his pinky, or he damaged his pinky. The doctor said, hey, we can fix this, or and you'll be out for the next uh, two months, and he would miss the playoffs, or we can just amputate it. And he goes, take it. Neil has done something similar, just not with a finger, just with a, with a different digit. So we got to yeah. get that story right out. Let's get it out of the gate. You want the story right <laughs> out of the gate? Because I know that's one of the things that usually people – like just automatically like just show or say this story. It's like, how badass is this guy? Is that badass? So let's get it out of the way. Can you give us yeah. what happened and get the actual story? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I never thought people would think such a big deal of this. It's funny that <laughs> people always bring this up. It's, I wasn't thinking this at all. I was just trying to be practical. Um, uh, this was a long, this was a ways ago was trained Randy at uh, Extreme Couture. And there was a series of fighters I was working with. I think at the time it was Randy and Vitor had camps I, I coming up or they were in the middle of their camps. I can't remember now. But I was very busy. But I'd also teach regular classes, make a few bucks. And, um, you know, I rolled around with the students. And I always kind of play around with them. And this one student, you know, I, I had him in like a straight ankle, but I wasn't even cranking it. I was just kind of holding it just to let him work. And he freaked out. And I don't know what he was thinking, but he grabbed my big toe. He grabbed my toe next to my big toe. And he just snapped it over my big toe. Oh, weird. Yeah, it was kind that's of a, That's such a weird defense. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. And... uh and I had broken that toe a couple of times, so it was probably compromised a little bit. And uh, I just kind of, like, then finished the lock and stood up and popped my toe back. And I said, hey, man, you can't, you can't do that. And he was pretty – he was freaked out. And uh, I said, yeah, we don't do small digits. I don't know where you got that idea. Because he was rolling like he could grapple. So I was a little uh... – very confused. And uh, – I never saw him again, but I didn't really hate on him for it. It was just kind of one of those weird things. I was just like, I don't know what made you think of doing that. But I just tried to straighten it the best I could and taped it up like normal. I just continued with the camps and my, you know, my, the things I had to get done. You know, I had people counting on me. So some time went by, I don't know, maybe six months or so. And I finally got a break between camps and work that I could, try to get it fixed because it was hurting me because it was overlapping my big toe like like that so it, every time I couldn't shoot like off my lead leg very well there's just a pain in the ass 
I went to a doctor to try to get it corrected, but I guess it was shattered through the joint. And they were going to have to put pins in it. And it was going to be a big procedure. And it's going to, I couldn't have any contact with that toe for six months to a year. Otherwise, it'd be really easy to break. And I'm like, that's not going to work. I got camps coming up. I got people counting on me. So I elected to remove it. And uh, I was able to get back on the mat. I think it was two and a half weeks. I just had to protect it. I was just being really careful, not that they wouldn't grab it. But uh, I wasn't wrestling, but I could grapple. And, um, and then I could continue with the camps. And then eventually, you know, it got less sensitive and I could just be normal again. But it's still kind of weird because it get my big toe gets hooked in short sometimes, and and uh, when I shoot off my lead leg, my toe is really split, mm-hmm. you know, because that gaps there. Because uh, I don't like wearing shoes because MMA we don't wear shoes, and uh, yeah, I, I've kind of broken the toes next to it now. I think Stephen Struve stepped back when I was in Florida. He ended up healing me and break broke two toes next to that gap. So my whole foot there is just I didn't. Those are I got those straight. So I didn't have to, you know, mess with them. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> my feet are a little jacked up. So what was the, the doctor's reaction? You were like, well, can we just fucking cut it off? Uh, he said no. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty – I was pretty uh, – I was a little more intense back then. You know, I was younger. So I pretty much told him, I said, well, if you don't remove it, I'm going to cut it off. And I just thought, you know, I can do it. I can, I can do it, you know. And he was like, well, don't do that because you'll probably get infected. And, and I, he's like, well, I'm going to make you wait and think about it for two weeks or like a week. And I was like, I don't need to think about it. It's my idea. And uh, clearly I've already put some thought into it. And then he, I came back in a week and then he's like, you still want to do it? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, I'll remove it. But I need you to sign some forms. And uh, then it became like a joke. Randy was like, get the toe. Try to get the toe. He wanted to hang it up in his office <laughs> and I like, put a plaque on it. So we were trying to get the toe, but I guess there's some rules about it. Like, you got, unless I had like a certain excuse via a religion or something where I needed to be buried with all my parts, I have no idea. But it was gonna be a, it was gonna be a hassle. And I was like, man, I don't really care. It's more like a gimmick. And then, like, you know, some of my students were bringing me, like, those Halloween toes and leaving them in my locker. And, you know, uh, Randy wanted to dangle one above his office, so I hit you in the head when you walked in. And, yeah, we, it was kind of like a little running joke for a little while, and then it faded. Well, I mean... ES- ESPN was actually filming uh, some other athlete, and I happened to come in there. I was coaching them, and I was had a cane, and my foot was wrapped up, and they asked me, I think it was Breck, uh, Brett Okamoto, is that his name? Yeah. Uh, he, he saw it, and he asked me, and then he asked permission to write about it, and then it's kind of took off from there, I guess. So, I mean, on the bright side of thing, at least it's not one of those things where that ended up being your nickname, like the toe guy. I mean, you well, got enough couple of nicknames. Guys were trying. I think Mitrion was trying to push nine-toed Neil. You know, it does have a jingle, so I really thought that was going to stick, but I didn't want it to. It's like, I don't want everybody – I just don't want to be known for that, you know. It's, it wasn't it's, my – It's kind of a legend, though. It's kind of one of those yeah. MMA legend kind of things, like it's, – yeah. yeah, it's like, how how hardcore are you about this life? Like, really? It's like, because I know a guy that, like, made it happen, so would you be willing to do that? Most guys are going to say no. But, but here's, the, here's the best part is you weren't even fighting. 
you're coaching. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the level of commitment that you have to this. <laughs> well, I was, I was a training partner, so, like, I did a lot of all the live groundwork for these guys, and I would wrestle with them and do some MMA with them because my striking wasn't nearly on par, you know? And um, most of them protected me a little bit, but on the ground, I could bang because I could feel it. And uh, we used to, I used to spar, so they counted on me. And when you had Randy and stuff, not a lot of guys like going with Randy. You know, he's a stud and he's a bigger guy. And he had trouble finding training partners as well. So I was around the same weight. I was a little smaller back then. I was trying to keep my weight down for him. And uh, so I would, we would do hard rounds together. So I was like, I, I had more of a purpose than educating. I, I, my, they were using my body as well. And I can be a good partner being a coach. You know, I don't have that ego. I don't have a fight coming up. I don't have to worry about my psyche, you know. Uh, so I can play possum. I can take some lumps for them, build up their confidence. You know, you know, guys will tell you, like Dom Cruz, I think. I think Mike Chandler during our practices would choke me out like 15 times a practice just because I required him not to pause and to fully commit and to fully commit. Yeah, sometimes I go to sleep before I can nap. <laughs> So, you know, when you're drilling, that stuff happens and, and you just, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm just in it to win it, I guess. One thing I've always wondered is how come you haven't really gotten into like any of the super fights or the grappling tournaments or things like that? I mean, everybody knows who you are. They know your skill level, but it like, was this more of like a personal decision? Well, I was competing back when I first started for the first few years and then, um, but I was also an air marshal, so I was traveling a lot, so I, I couldn't compete a lot. Um, but I was competing. I did some shoot matches and things like that, small-time stuff, you know. Um, but you wouldn't but do one now? I would totally do one now. The, the big thing is getting – I got to make sure I'm healthy. And that seems to be a struggle for me these days. And it's always been a bit of a struggle because I, I have Bichette's disease and it's a lot like lupus and it causes a lot of problems. That's why I'm blind in one eye and deaf in one ear. I was blind both eyes for a little while. So I still kind of live under that, that weight that my disease could really mess me up. And I take the medicine I take to control the disease weakens my immune system. So when I'm in a gym, I get sick a lot with colds and flus and uh yeah so i never really feel that good so when i'm training and doing this stuff i'm kind of gutting through it for the guys and i'm doing it because i love it but after i'm done coaching and i'm exhausted i can't add more to my schedule yeah. you know i'm not a sideline coach and maybe if i was a sideline coach and I, I was able to adjust that but my passion wasn't really about i didn't really I don't have like an ego like that, you know? I like competing because I like to just roll. And I, I don't care where it is. Um, I, I only want to compete now just for my friends and fan, fans, you know? I don't really care about it. I don't care. I don't ever have dreams of carrying a belt or anything. That was never, you know, my thing. As I think for me is once I got sick and realized that I was never going to fight, um, that I was never going to have like a career like this. And back then jujitsu guys didn't make money. Mm. You know, when I, I was like, you didn't do jujitsu unless you were going to go into MMA. And if you wanted to make money, you know, uh, jujitsu is not a, 
it's not an easy sport for spectators that don't know the sport to understand, but MMA is. So that's where you go. So it seemed like you go jujitsu and then you eventually go MMA. So I just kind of was already, uh, I was a high stand grappler. So we did grappling and MMA. So it seemed like, you know, all the guys were going MMA. So I thought the business was MMA. I didn't really, jujitsu was like my passion and the grappling game was my passion, but it wasn't my job. My job was to train guys for fights. So I really wasn't in that world. I didn't take it serious. Um, it wasn't until I think recently when I started doing DVDs that I was like starting to pay attention more to the grappling world. Mm. And I was like, what guys are making money doing this? Like, I, I really, I know it sounds stupid for guys that just do jujitsu, but I'm just wasn't in that world. Like I was training with jujitsu guys, rolling with black belts, training with wrestlers. And I was just trying to get as good as I can and then learn it, uh, understand it and then dictate it and educate with it. You know, that was, that's a process. And that was my passion. And then, uh, then later on, I'm hearing like, oh, yeah, Gordon's he just bought a house. He's doing all this. I'm like, good for fucking him, man. How is he doing this? You know, I had no idea guys are making decent money now. And it's just a big fan base. And I hear guys have arguments about dudes that are jujitsu, like, oh, this guy's better. And I was like, when I first came into the deal, it wasn't like that. I mean, maybe it was. And I was just too much in the MMA side. But. Yeah, because I never put, I'm not a gi guy, you know, I'm not from that world. I'm from a straight grappling world. It just really started coming up over, I would say over the last four years, that no gi, like as a business, you know, I I think it all started with the Eddie Bravo, uh, the, uh, what is the Eddie Bravo Invitational? That started getting a lot lot of eyes on no gi, and it it like, it it started blowing up, and, and, and people started to see they could make money well, promoters started seeing they could make money putting on grappling events, which nobody really thought they could do other than tournaments, I think. Well, everyone so, I saw fail, like Metamorist, I was like, all right, cool. This might be fun to do. I can get a match with one guy. I don't have to do some crazy tournament. I mean, I'm, bang, I'm banged up. I'll take a match. Yeah. And then, uh, then I found – I talked to the guy that owned the thing, and he was great down. He's the guy that owns 540. I don't know if you know what that is. That's a – yeah, in Cali. Really grappling place, super nice. And is it Robert Zepp? Out. And yeah. guy's awesome. I'm thinking, man, this is great. And then I, he, I found out, yeah, he dumped some money into it, and then it was gone. And he's like, I'm not doing that again. I'm like, yeah. well, so much for that. Yeah. And, uh, and plus, I was like, 20-minute matches. Oh, I mean, God, this is kind of boring to watch on some of them. I mean, I just kind of go for it. I don't, I don't know, but, you know, I wasn't too worried about it. What but, about, like, uh, ADCC? Well, that's another thing. That's another tournament bracket. I got to get in shape for that. I got a job. Man, you know, you've been a beast. Fighter, <laughs> Come on, man. 40 hours a week. Like, what do you think I'm doing here? It's like, I'm, not, I don't, I'm, in, I'm in my mid-40s. You know, it, it would be crazy to, for me to go in there in a tournament and go with these animals, you know, back-to-back. I'll take a match. That's like yeah, that's what I'm saying. You, I would, I would definitely get you like, in right, a... You, know, you got Cyborg. And then you got Gordon, and then you got. It's like Jesus Christ! I'm gonna need tea time and a nap, you know. Like I don't know what kind of athlete you think I am, but come on, listen. I used to sit there and watch you for hours in the Black Zillions camp when I was sitting there and taking all the photos and videos. I'm like, 
and funny enough, there was, it's one of my favorite times coming up in grappling and also in like one of my biggest regrets, like is not being able to learn more from you directly when we were over at Jocko. But man, I would sit there and watch you like, he's fucking AJ up right now. Like, I mean, there's, I'm sure I, somewhere I have footage and photos of you just like fucking these guys up, just coaching. Yeah, well, I mean, I, look, I'm supposed to, right? That's why they're coming at me. But it's it's irrelevant. Like, I'll here's my thing. You know, I was a dog trainer in the military, and I know that doesn't seem relevant, but I really learned operant and classical conditioning very well because that's it's all dog training. There's all different types of learning. So you learn a little bit about psychology, and I started figuring things out. People will do more to avoid pain than they will to gain pleasure. So when I move with an athlete, I'm holding, it's like I'm holding mitts. Like I'm sticking them and then I'm letting him work. And then I'm sticking them and I'm letting him work. If he doesn't react intelligently, I, I get him. I sting him hard and I go rough. So there it leaves a, it leaves a dent in the mind. Like, fuck, that sucked. You know, sorry, language. There but then, did. and then I'll do that same setup, but I'll distract them first. So they're not focused on it. So it disappears in their mind and I'll, and I'll rediscover that spot for them. And then when they respond correctly, I make mistakes on purpose. And I, and then all of a sudden they go, they get the win, they get the finish, they get the position, I, they, they land good shots on me. And now it's making it black and white in their head and I'm not having to say anything. Right. So that, and when they learn like that, they know it because they're discovering it for themselves. But you have to do it a certain way and you gotta have, you gotta read your athlete really well. And the only way to do it is to be the body working with them. Right. So when I work with guys, I, I do a lot of feeder fish rounds just to build, just to see their confidence and mode, so they don't get in their head that they have to be defensive all the time. Because when they go with me, they get very defensive. Well, you're not competing against me in that fight. You're not for the guy, you know. I'm so what I'll do is. I'll, I'll just back off and say, man, I'm, you know, or I'll play his opponent and what I research on. And to do that, yeah, it takes some lumps sometimes. So sometimes it looks like I'm getting my ass kicked. Sometimes I'm kicking their ass, but I'm controlling the whole thing. I'm deciding what we're doing and how it's being done. I'm just a gritty kid and I can take it. That's all. So it's kind of like positive reinforcement through negative reinforcement. It's just the same. It's just I'm just using the the all honesty of how the mind works. You know, it's it, if people will always do more to avoid pain than to gain pleasure. And it, if you don't, you know, just if people don't agree with that, it's okay. But there's a lot of research that says otherwise. And all right. I did was fill in the gap. The thing is, though, it's very hard to teach someone to do that because they have to be crazy enough. Sorry about that. No, you get it. Yeah, they have to be crazy enough to be willing to put their, their body on the line a little bit. But so do mitt handlers. You know, you talk to any you talk to any coach that's been working mitts for a long period of time, their elbows are shot. Yeah. Their bodies are yeah. you know, they're toughing it out. So it's there's no really good way. You know, my neck and shoulder, I need I need a hip replace or shoulder replace and it, it's all because of letting guys drill on me. You know, when I when I go hard, I protect myself, but not protecting myself to build the athlete's confidence, it wears my it wore me out. So that was the thing. I, I think if I had to go back, I probably would do a little less of that because the toll on my body now in my forties is way more than I expected. It's like you became like the the human punching bag just for 
for them to improve. Right, because it didn't, like, it just, yeah, it just kind of sucked a little. But, you know, I'm an ex-military guy. You just suck it up. You know, you don't think much about it. Um, no one else around you is going down like that. And then next thing you know, you start falling apart. But that's why I just, I knew that I had a cap on how long I could play that style. And eventually, I, I after the Black Zillions, I kind of, I kind of ended that style of coaching because my body's just had enough. But I found other ways to kind of replicate it. It's just maybe not as the learning process, maybe not as fast as I was getting back then. I was getting quick results. Right. What do you think? Any of your injuries may have played a a role in, in development of like I've been watching a lot of the stuff you've been doing with that special K guard. Um, and it's called K. K. I just called it Special K, or right. like, you know, a reference. Well, thank God because I've been calling it K Guard, but I, I <laughs> well, I've been calling it K Guard to my guys because I've been playing with it. Even like I saw you do it a couple months ago, I was like, oh, that's interesting because I'm I've always been nervous to reach under the leg while in guard, right? Like while having a full guard because if they if they come down, but then I was then I was like, wait a second, I have all my hips that I can press back. But do you think that the uh, your your injuries, the accumulation of injuries, kind of helped you develop that that guard a little well, bit. Well, I developed K for MMA, and it was I'll never forget it. It was I was watching Dave Luazo and Evan Tanner fight, and the whole fight it looked like Tanner was all over him, just out grappling him, working him. And I don't remember what rounds really, but uh, I remember there was a point that Tanner took. Uh, Dave's back and Dave had a little trick in MMA where he'd give his back he would roll you to your back and then he would have a good back mount escape from there and then he basically spit and get in your guard especially when he's slippery and that's what he did to to Evan so all of a sudden he goes from you know he he puts Evan on his back spins to get in his guard he throws I think two elbows and the fight's over and I was watching the way David was throwing his elbows. He was throwing them so powerfully from the driving from his feet that no hands up is going to block that kind of power. And then I was thinking to myself, because I was kind of a bottom days player back then because uh, I still had to get better at my wrestling and judo at the time, you know. So I, had, I was still developing that side. So I was looking at that. And I was like, man, if I go close guard there, I, I can't. That guy's going to kill me. And if I start teaching that to guys, that dude's going to kill them. I can't have that. So I need to protect, I need to protect this stuff. So but when you go with the problem is the rules make the sport, right? So if you go to like, say a Z or side scissors or whatever you want to call it, yeah, you can protect yourself. The problem is your athlete on top can always leave. He can always go backwards. He can always escape, stand, run by you. He can kick your legs. He can hover over you and then punch you. Or he can force you to stand up. And if he's a better striker, then he's gotten a chance, right? So you kind of have to – if something puts me on my back in a fight, I have to do something. Either reverse him, go to a snap down, submit him, something. Because if I just escape and get up, the judges see whatever he did to me and post his will on me, and I escape. But that still tick mark is in the judge's eyes. If I turn his offense and then flip it on him and say I snap him down and then I get to a front headlock, like my snap guard concept, turn the corner, take your back. Now, whatever you did to me is kind of a race because I'm the dominant aggressor now. You see how it works? It's just kind of like uh, you show up at domestic violence. I'm an ex-law enforcement, so my mind thinks different. 
the girl's beating the crap out of her boyfriend, hits him a bunch of times. He hits her once, breaks her fucking nose. She'd come out. She started it. She was attacking me. But you were the dominant aggressor. You're going to jail. You see how it works? And that's kind of the thing in a round. It's very similar in that aspect. So I had to come up with something. And the K control creates an anchor. And it's a it's an off-balancing based system. So it's an open guard based system. So the, what happens with the, the leg hook is that if you try to run, I have options. So if you try to stand up out, yeah, I can go leg locks. But there's a lot of – I have a lot of moves where I just roll out into a sweep single. I got a lot of weird funky rolls from K control that if you – you, I show a couple on the DVD. Uh, I'm going to do a part two probably because there's a lot you can do from K. You can attack the entire body. But it allows you now to not get hit because you're kind of in this angle. So if they drive, they're actually driving into a pendulum sweep, which is going to force an off-balancement. If he's fighting his balance, he cannot fight me. He can't hit me because he's dealing with a problem, his balance. And while he's dealing with that problem, now I can attack him. So I give him two things to do. He's got to correct his balance. Then he's got to defend what I'm doing. I only have to attack. So I only get to, I only, so we're two to one, I'm going to win. Right. So he's got more steps. And I can push him away. I can sweep him backwards. I can sweep him to the right. I can sweep him to the left. I can go inverted if I need to. And I can attack, meaning submissions, the upper body. The more you try to punch me, the more K works to my advantage. K is actually harder in regular grappling because people can try to be very careful and stall. But if you use K correctly and your leg position is correct, you, you want to be jerky and violent with it, you'll get them to hover and lean into very easily. It's just guys that when they learn K, you learn it in a stage. You learn it in a stage. You learn the position. You learn the sweeps. You learn the attacks. That's great. That's the same as, say, I go to a gun range, you teach me how to shoot. I feel great. I'm shooting it perfect every time. Doesn't mean I can win a gunfight. Gunfight is totally different. There's tons of tactics. There's speed. There's movement. There's focusing on two different sight pictures. There's a lot going on on how to win a gunfight. So just because you can shoot doesn't mean you can win a gunfight. Yeah. So what you do is, okay, you learn K. You learn how to shoot. Now applying it, now you can use it in a gunfight meaning you can use it in a real fight. And that is the constant jerkingness, off-balancing movement, constantly messing with their balance, and then trading it off. Maybe I want to be K. I bait him to come down and try to beat my K. And then I put him in a trapping system, like an overhook or a shoulder pin. So I can easily switch my system. So it's a very aggressive. Uh, and the first way, I call it K control. It's cause, not because of the body position. All right, I call it K because when I first started getting this idea, Highest stand played guard a little different, whereas jiu-jitsu guys play a lot of high-low concepts, meaning uh, I go for the arm bar or triangle, he starts to rip out, or he starts to posture and stand up, then I go to the leg lock. I'm attacking the upper body to lower body, I'm attacking high to low. Highest stand was a leg lock-based gym, so they would go low to high. So they're, when you're on your knees, they go for that leg lock because they can get a deep grip, right? So if you try to run, you're done. They already got a deep grip. But if you drop your base now to try to sprawl or defeat that leg lock, then they switch high and they go for triangles and arm bars. It was a totally different concept that I saw with the rest of the jiu-jitsu world back then. So that's kind of what Carl would do. He would, he would jack you off balance. He would, he would go deep looking for a leg, but then he would slap up a triangle. 
And the whole time it's very confusing and he always has a hard angle. So it's hard to correct yourself because you got to take away that angle to fight him intelligently. So basically he has a flank, right? right? So there's a lot going on. And, and I watched Carl fight St. Pierre a long time ago. Grant, I mean, granted St. Pierre won, but Carl put him in a lot of trouble. And Carl was just, I mean, straight technician. He was all talent. He was not like he was training. Carl had like body fat. You know, he's not, he's out there. He's smoking cigarettes before a fight. Carl's gangster. Yeah. He's not like the rest of the fighters. Okay. He's a gangster. All right. So I saw what he was doing and I was like, man, he's really close to making this sick, but he's not that kind of mind. You know, he's just an athlete, you know? So I'm more of the guy that can organize and, and make systems very well. I don't know why it's just something I've been good at. So what I did is I took it. I started building rules and fundamentals. And then I built systems and I spent, I just spent a lot of time on it until it was fully developed. And I saw the little differences. If my hips were on the ground in K, I had problems. If my hips were off the ground in K, I was super effective. I just started creating notes. And, and luckily for me, I had friends that were awesome training partners that just let me practice. And uh, I would tell them, hey, I think you can beat it by doing this. Try doing that. Or, hey, try to stall me this time. Hey, this time try to run. This time try to fight me. This time try to control this. This time try to control that. And then I was figuring it out. And I was like, okay, and then you do more research. I started studying spider guard. Let's see what they do. Let's see how they move. Let's see cross guard. Let's see how they do. Let's see how they move. I started studying with them. Go training with black belts and see how they work stuff. I figured out some good leg drills from them, some good wrist control drills. Then I started training more Greco guys. Greco's made my hand fighting through the roof. So how can Greco make my hand fighting better? Well, they're the best hand fighters I've ever fucking seen in my life. They're amazing. That's all they do is hand fight. So I started learning a lot from Greco guys. And I just started putting it all together and I make the system, you know? And now it's, uh, it's, one of, it's always been one of my most dangerous systems because I, I'm extremely fast with it for a big guy and you're, you're constantly off balance. If you're constantly off balance, you cannot fight me intelligently. It also makes sense, especially with, with your type of grappling. If you're attacking the lower body, the only way they can adjust their balance is putting their head in the way, which just sets them up for everything anything else that you can do. Well, sometimes I bait them. Like, I'll go yeah. K and make some purpose. So they want to come down. They stuff my knee and try to sprawl out, which would work. However, all I do is switch my system and go to my shoulder pin or uh, the William Scar, some people call it or whatever you want to call it, like overhooks or whatever trap, rubber guard, if you're that guy. So you can switch your system by forcing them to counter your other system. So now, and that's what you always want to make sure is that I wanted to have a system that would work for MMA and grappling equally. And I noticed that a lot of guys, I have friends that are sick, sick black belts in gi. And they're just, they're sick. But you take the gi off, they're, you can tell their face, their hands are strong. There's a lot of good qualities but their grips are off, they're not grabbing, their body position blow off, they're not used to the speed of the game. And I would see my purple belts just tear through them. But I'm sure if my purple belts threw a gi on, it would be a joke. You know, they would just kill them, you know? So it's like, I start, you know, I look at it as like BJJ is a sport, grappling is another sport, and the sports have massive similarities, but they're not exactly the same. So just like, people that like i like to train gi i think it helps me get ready for fights well if that's in your head and you think it does then it does because your mind relies on it but honestly i don't see how it does 
I think you got to get used to being sweaty. The biggest, I remember when I first started, I was an overhook guy. This is a decent story. I know I'm talking a while. No, no, you're good. Uh, this is awesome. But that's wore, what it's for. <laughs> I wore a long sleeve lash guard all the time back then because I used to get a uh, flicculitis from the Mac because I was, I was still trying to figure out my health condition. So I used to cover my skin and I was an overhook guy and I was awesome at it because it was like, it was just something. I was a tall guy. Guys were used to getting underneath me. I said, all right. Instead of me trying to beat this, let me just smash, smash the counter first, and then I'll get get around. So I was teaching this one fighter. I was just new as a coach for MMA. And I was showing him my overhook game, and I was showing it from the bottom. And uh, he would take it to pro class and spar with other guys, and guys, you know, sometimes are shirtless. And he was like, man, I'm trying it, but guys are slipping out. I was like, slipping out, you know? How are they slipping out, you know? And – I decided to take my rash guard off and holy crap was my technique garbage because guys with no, no shirts on no shirt, skinny and like when we're all sweaty, I had to adjust everything. And then from that day on, I said, I'm never letting equipment change my technique ever again, ever, ever, ever again. And then what happened, I made all my technique better. I figured out a way to use my, the grip of my shorts and change the way I do overhooks by grabbing my bottom leg, to get you to press your skin more against my shorts versus my chest. I started making all these adjustments that way because those shorts you can wear in a fight. You know, normal shorts that don't pass the knee, you wear them in a fight. If I, that's required equipment, then I will use that equipment to my advantage. That's why I always, as much as I like 10th Planet guys because they're very creative, and I, li I like creativity, I think it's good. Uh, it can be bad as well because people get too creative. They pass up good submissions that are basic and high percentage to go for funky, funky little ones because they want to be different. And that's okay if you're a hobbyist, but if you're an athlete, all you got to look at it, not like a, something unique, look at it as a quirk because you're making more steps than necessary and you're disrespecting your opponent because most likely he's going to beat it. Focus on the big things that was hammered into me because I was a creative guy. And every time I was trying to do too many steps, I got iced. All right. So that's the kind of thing. So anyway, getting back to 10th planet, I'm rambling is that <laughs> they love to wear the the gi pants yeah. and the uh, long tights and it helps their game tremendously it helps the bottom game tremendously and I remember thinking I'm sure it does in the hobbyist world and in competition that's why jiu-jitsu like grappling competition is kind of lame they don't have standardized equipment guys can wear whatever they want yeah. you know it, it's kind of bizarre like guys are wearing leggings it's like I used to think, man, how much gear do you need to win? Yeah. Seriously. I remember Dean Lister back in 2003 wear a pair of shorts, probably a sign of booty shorts and a girl would wear because that's all he could find that day. He didn't even have shorts. He had to borrow from a buddy. And he goes out there and he submits just about everybody in the absolute, all but pay to panel, I think. What the hell? That's a sick fucking black belt, right? That guy just, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, granted, not all of us can grapple like Dean. He was a real special kid. But, uh, I mean, he is a special guy. I didn't mean past <laughs> He's he just not competing like he was. But I think, well, shouldn't that be a, something to, to pay attention to? There's technique that doesn't require equipment. You know, let's, let's, let's not wear equipment. Because, like me, the equipment actually handicapped me because I required it. And as yeah. soon as I took that equipment off, I had to change so much about my game because the game was too slippery. I had to say, okay. I had to create a percentage based on submissions and when do I scramble? And if I don't, if I stay here too long and, and he gets out, 
I got to scramble before he scrambles because if he gets up before me, he's going to be able to hit me before I can hit him. And that could knock me out. So there's a lot of things thinking about, you know, when you're coming up with techniques. Do you, you don't rush, you don't want to be responsible for leaving a fighter down the wrong path. Right. So you, getting you, on to my before you get to your point. I'm so sorry. sorry. I wish Ten Planet guys, and maybe they do this because I'm not I'm not in their world. Maybe they do do this. So I, I I should I should be very careful here. I think if they just wore a plan of plan of wore plain shorts, no shirt, no nothing they would modify their system and it would be better for MMA. It would work even better and they would become better grapplers. But I just don't like how they wear equipment. I mean, I understand hobbyists, they don't want to protect their skin, but you know, you're a hobbyist, you can do whatever you want. You're not trying to make a career, but you're just having fun. And that's fine because the gym doesn't count. You know, whatever you do in the gym is just training. You shouldn't be ever afraid to lose in the gym. You know, people have egos in the gym. that's got to let that go. Uh, Competition is where the money is. When it's money's on the line, you want to be your best. So uh, I just wish they would make those adjustments because I think they would have more, more people taking to their style and they would adjust their style and work better for MMA. And it would be a good standardized system for grappling. Maybe they do do it. I don't know. Maybe they're just a bunch of, a lot of them are hobbyists and they're just having fun and that's cool as hell, but they have some unique stuff. And I'd like to see if it really stands up when things are slippery. Maybe it does. I've seen some badass dudes, and maybe it doesn't, you know. But I do see the benefit of wearing that equipment for the bottom guy. And like I said, if you don't wear it in fighting, what are we doing? You're just you're doing a little modified sport that doesn't really – it's not your actual sport, you know. Right. So I'm not knocking them. Like, I'm not knocking them. I'm just – that's the only thing that frustrates me about people that wear a lot of equipment is that if you wear that – it's you know to me it just doesn't feel real so do you think that's more coming from your your military background and understanding that like it has to be able to work at the worst possible time for you and have to work in a self-defense thing you're not always going to be able to have like you know if someone breaks into your house you're not gonna be able, hold on let me get my rash guard on like you're gonna have to go you're gonna be in those situations so you look at it from the self-defense aspect as well well i just you want it for me I would have a tough time accepting the fact that I would need equipment to win. You know, it's like, I, re I understand like when you're a new hobbyist, you're looking for every edge in the gym because the gym is everything. You know, you're not thinking competition. You're just thinking I need to survive. So it's okay. You cut some mangles, but I, my, it's just my personal feeling. You should be able to win and do your technique and have a system that works when you're, you're slippery as hell. Uh, and, you know, I know that guys want to use control. Control-based stuff is great. It's hard to execute when you're slippery, but it can be done. Um, but when you don't have physical control, you can control somebody through sequences. And that's, that's what I focus on for MMA, because I can set you up where you're going to turn left, and I know you're going to turn left, and that's the only way you can turn is left. And when you turn left, you're going to have to post that hand on the mat. And when you post that hand on the mat, I'm going to grab your wrist. When I grab your wrist, this is going to happen. You're going to be on a low shoulder. I'm going to do this and that. So by me turning you with one step, I'm five moves ahead of you because you don't have a choice. Right. I'm so, setting you up in sequence. So I'm controlling you by setting you down a path that I already know the outcome. Is that Rather kind of physically forcing you there? Is that just kind of like from, from the, the catch wrestling like basic 
Like just no, having- I mean, Gokor used to tell me when I first started, he was like, you want to be five moves ahead of yourself. You want to get up to seven. He's like, right now, just think two. You know, because I was learning at the time. And I, to me, that sounded crazy to have five moves ahead. I was like, how do you get five moves ahead? You don't know what he's going to do. But now that I've been more experienced, I kind of see what he means. And most coaches do this. They have, like, they have combinations. You know, fighters have combinations. I hit this pass and I go to this arm bar, whatever. But a lot of times... When that happening, they're forcing a technique. They have control. I have control of them. I'm going here. I have control. I'm going there. Control is great, but what happens when you don't have control and you're in a scrambling situation? You can still have control, but you have control through sequences. And sometimes you got to give to get. Right. If I can't control you, I give you something that you'll want, but I can actually handle. You know? Like like Caro did with like giving up his back to, to roll around. Like, uh, you mean David? David, sorry, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, like I said, I'm sure David didn't want his back taken, but it was his choice at that moment to give it up so he could do a technique that he felt confident he could do. And David's a great guy. And what later on, I always admired David's striking inside the guard. So I followed David. I was like, man, how is this guy finishing fights with one elbow in the guard where I see other fights? Guys are throwing like 10 elbows, 20 elbows, and this guy's not even cut. So I started studying Dave, and I was like, man, this guy, why isn't anyone looking at this guy? He's got it figured out. And then I got to train with him at the Black Zillions, and I was I was really – I mean, he's a really nice, humble guy. He's the pretty, nicest dude but He's ever. so great, right? He doesn't <laughs> want anything from anybody. And uh, I asked him to show me some of his striking concepts inside the guard, and it was brilliant. He had brilliant combinations and fakes and how he did it. And I was like, man, this guy's – He's got it all figured out. It's, and I was thinking, man, no, it's like he's like a hidden gem. And no one, you know, like I even asked him about his striking against the cage. He showed me a lot of stuff. I was like, man, this guy's got a great mind for this. But, you know, he's just because, I don't know, he's just, he's up there in Canada doing his thing. But to me, I think he's a gem. Because because of David Luazzo striking in the guard, I developed K control. I also put together shoulder pin, which other people play. They call it something else. I didn't know it was called. Some people call it Williams Guard until my book came out. Yeah. I was literally doing a seminar on the East Coast. And they're like, yeah, we call it Wims Guard. I'm like, like Sean Williams? I had no idea. Like I said, I wasn't in that jiu-jitsu world. Yeah. I had saw a guy do it, and I was like, I want to try that. And then I spent a lot of time on it so I could make it really high percentage. It's actually one of my best systems. That's awesome. But, uh, you yeah, know. He messed me up a couple of months ago. Dad, the crow fucked me up pretty good a couple of months ago. I was, I was joking around with it because I'm training with George at Excel. And he comes by all the time. Okay. So, like, we're joking around, and I was just sitting there, and he comes up, and he starts grabbing me. I'm like, you don't want any of this. You don't want any of this. And, yeah, that, that lasted all of about five seconds. <laughs> Dave's strong. People don't realize how strong he is. He's, he's a strong so crazy. Kid. Yeah, he's a strong kid. He's a nice guy, man. Him and George. George is a great guy. I got to work with George once, and I was just impressed on how great of a freaking student he was. He yeah. was just a great student. I just, for a guy so accomplished, you said Randy. Randy was this accomplished guy, and I'm working with him, and he was just an amazing student. I was like, man, I wish, like, that is the key. Like, yeah. he just knew the right, he asked good questions. He was willing to work, patient. He wanted to hear all the whys. Because when I look at a technique, most people just focus on how. If you're a beginner, you think how. Because you're just trying to figure out how to do it. But the reality is, like, uh, 
it's like they, Nietzsche said, give anyone a why and they'll figure out a how or something similar to that. Mm -hmm. I don't have it memorized. But you got, if you need have a, if you have a why to do something, you'll figure out how to do it. So I, and me being a military, you know, having a law enforcement background, I always think who, where, where, why, and how. And I think of that when I'm looking at a technique. I see a guy pull some, like, I remember one time, Caro, this is a funny story. I was at highest end. And I got really good at triangles because they made me basically. And uh, I was submitting everybody in the gym with triangles. And I was feeling good about it, but I still had a long way to go. And I turned to Carl. I'm like, man, I'm getting good at this. And I just remember the look on his face when he said, good. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, Jacques Ray's good. Are you him? And I'm like, no. He's like, you're decent. Don't say good. <laughs> and I, after that, I was like, you know what? I got to start. He's comparing me to the best in the world. I, I'm comparing me to the room. Right. And I need to compare myself to the best in the world. And then I'll, if, I, if I get cold, I'm good. I'll know where I'm at. And I remember, I remember that day, I fucking, those coaches told me I was really good. And I was like, man, I'm fucking really good. Because <laughs> I just remember, oh, man going home that day you're fucking decent i was like all right i'll take it i'll be back tomorrow you know what's up more money keep training it comes down (laughs) what i've noticed a lot man is 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 egos are such they're the biggest killers of of any like advancement or any progress is the egos so like you were saying how how these these you know how george was a great uh student um, right. George has no ego. George is one of the most laid back guys. We ever. still use like tracking, by the way. We still use tracking like every like once in a while. It's just sit oh, there. Like, you guys caught it, huh? Yeah, the second he'll show the technique. And I remember the first time he did it, once he opened up the academy, he's like tracking. And like half the people didn't know what the hell he was talking about. They're like, what are we Who was that, George? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. You stole that from me. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's why I heard it. I was like, did he just say tracking? And then so like you see people that didn't know about it, they're like, the fuck is he talking about i'm like just just go with it one two three guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah when he was down I, I i say that a lot to make sure you're following you yeah. know say it back so it's that's also what it does is that you can read who's following you and yeah. you can read who's not and give people a chance to be like hey i, I don't got it you know <laughs> rather than moving too fast but i use that that was a military thing uh to say that but i remember i taught george my turnaway sequences which is getting very popular in MMA. There's other guys that do it. Like Khabib does a version of it. Uh, but I saw it to George and he went back and, and I guess he was teaching it and he had forgot what I called it. And, uh, and then I trained with this guy that was from his team, came out and, I was, and he was like, yeah, George, show me your, your flamingo. And I was like, what? Flamingo? <laughs> He's like, yeah. And he showed it. I'm like, My, that's the turnaway sequence. I, I, I just call it turnaway sequence. And he's like, oh, he didn't know what to call it. He called it flamingo or something like that. I was like, like a flamingo, flamingo dancer? Like, yeah. like a right. dancer? That's, yeah. that's, that's fucking hilarious. Flamingo, that's different. But, so, yeah. Oh, George is great, man. I love that guy. I, I don't want to change it too much, but I've been dying to ask you because when I saw it, I was like, fuck, I should have done that. Your, your custom made pieces, the, the Glock 17, and was it the 34 with the Edward Teach insignia on there? Yeah, Glock 19X. 19X. Oh, man. That, yeah. Have you seen it, Sean? No. Uh, bro, yeah. you got to go yeah, on the Instagram. Crazy. Yeah, I got I got them all pirated out. But, uh, yeah, I like to shoot. I do, I do like to shoot a lot. And 
being an air marshal, we did a lot of pistol shooting. And uh, I, I have a lot of friends out here that are ex-cops and you know, some SWAT guys. And it, it's cool. They kind of kind of push me and I, I get a little better. Yeah. And I learned, I learned from them and uh, it's been fun. And, but I, I like these guys. I'm getting into it. And yeah, I got a couple of stores out here. They just take good care of us and just pimped it out, man. It's yeah. the grip is sick. The yeah. trigger. Oh, I know. I saw it. I was like, it break. you don't feel a break. It's just beautiful. <laughs> and it was my first time putting uh Trigicon dots on, on yeah. pistols, you know, and I love it now. I thought it was a little weird at first, but now I love it. Cause I, I don't, my, I'm, I'm, go, I'm almost blind, you know, I don't yeah. see very well. So I'm like, wow, I could, <laughs> Listen, I, I got my vision and those sites, man, they helped me out so much just to get that line of sight so quick. Man. So like, quick. It's great for combat shooting, man. Yeah. But I've been yeah. I've been working on it getting more and more. I, I have actually one of the guys that, that trains with us, he's been taking me out. He teaches me. I'm like, man, I'd like I loved shooting before, but now that I actually feel like I know what I'm doing, I'm like getting completely obsessed. Completely. You know, I just you got this gun is perfect for you. Alex, this pink purple one. It's like think, it'll fit in the palm of my hand. I can't even uh, <laughs> for sure. Like I just, I have, I had a twenty-two. I've had a twenty, a uh, Glock twenty-two for a while, and now I just picked up a seventeen a few weeks ago. So it's like just bits and pieces that I want to keep on adding on to it. So. I bought the uh, Glock forty-three X, and I can like put that in my pocket. Yeah, it's a little heater. It's like I can't. I, I put a new, I put a new trigger and spring kit in there, and it still breaks like shit because it's new, but uh yeah it's 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 a nice little gun nine mil is such great cheap ammo you can get yeah thousand rounds out here for like 100 120 bucks something like that yeah so it's like so cheap it's i'm just i like the nines i just hollow point them all just yeah. in case you know let's <laughs> make my own like it was like <laughs> we had the drought too man there's like i've been waiting to purchase like another box of ammo for three weeks now just people buying Jeez. everything up everybody bought I'm, everything up. i'm lucky i'm all stocked up my, yeah. my m4 is all stuck my shock i'm all <laughs> just in case i'm ready i might I have to say go, i might have to go find some toilet paper soon me and the boys <laughs> have, have to strap We're up ready to go start knocking down houses listen at this point i'll trade you some toilet paper for some ammo we can make that happen <laughs> you imagine that showing up at the door give me some shit tickets right fucking now <laughs> Listen, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, hey, look, it's easy. All you got to do is find the house with the Bernie sign that's still up front. Gosh. And you just knock on the door. <laughs> Socialism. Gosh, share it, man. Oh, man. Yeah, share it. So share I'm it. curious I'm curious about, like, your, your air marshal days. I don't know how much you can actually talk about it, but how did you transition from, from the Navy into the air marshals? I, I literally uh, I got out of the military – on a one day and the next day I was at the academy. I applied while I was on stop loss, meaning that you're not allowed to get out, basically. Oh. So I my my term of service was over and I was still in because I was a what my my what I was doing was considered a necessity because we were starting at war, and uh, the, like the I think the war is about to kick off, and um, they. They started, uh, I actually had put in for the air marshals prior hmm. to the 9-11 uh, attacks. So when that happened, I got a message saying, hey, just reapply under this found you know, this form. I got hired, but I couldn't get out of the military. So I had, I had some experience with an admiral that I did some protection work with. And it got back, they were nice enough to call his office. And uh, he was on leave. So he was basically on a little break. 
and he was nice enough to come in from break and sign the release to let me out because he said we need more air marshals than anything right now because we can't have another attack so he let me out so i could go to air marshal uh become an air marshal and a federal agent with them and i did five years with them but i got very sick uh i was basically jet lagged for you know four years until they pulled me into training i was teaching the hand-to-hand -hand stuff for them uh, out of the la field office because basically i was in cincinnati and uh, I had been traveling, training jujitsu and grappling and, you know, wrestling, catch wrestling. I was a shoot guy at first, but I couldn't find any good schools. It was really hard. Like I would compete in the Midwest and it'd be easy. I had like one year I'd go in advance and beat everybody with heel hooks. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was literally beating guys that were so much better than me, but I just knew leg locks and they did. And I, 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 it was weird. I learned all backwards. And then uh, I went out and I had always heard about Gokor and Jean LaBelle, of course. So I said, let me go check this out. And I went out there and I trained with Gok and I was like, oh my God, this dude is crazy good. Neil, Neil, before you keep going, better or not better? Or better? Better? That's definitely the, better than the other this, way. This, this is the LaBelle lock. This yeah, is, that's what I so, call it. Please. Yeah, this is the LaBelle lock. Please so go I ahead and continue to tell him what it's called, please. Well, it's not for him, dummy. I'm talking to the other people that don't understand what I'm doing right now. It's so three-finger grip. The three-finger grip is – we called it the LaBelle lock. This is obviously yeah. the Gable grip. Yeah. I've been telling my guys, said, look, this is a much stronger grip, but it's not very well taught, but this is, this is called the LaBelle lock. I wanted to. I wanted your opinion. You just gave it. Basically, this is definitely way stronger than the game. I know. It depends what I use it for. Like if I do like an underhook shoulder pin, or what guys are calling the shoulder clamp. Like I'll do three fingered because, like, if you lock a gable grip and you try to try to bring your elbows, like think you're in a three quarter Nelson, like you're setting up a Darce, mm -hmm. and you try to move your elbows past each other. What happens is your grip will come apart. Uh, if you go three finger, your grip will stay together and you can actually create a lot of pressure with your form. I'm a, I'm a big guy. I'm big into leveraging. So I use all leveraging. And I learned that from studying funk wrestlers because they're leverage masters. And uh, they, I start doing that. But if I'm going to hug somebody, I don't go three fingered. I just go gable or S grip or finger roll grip, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I, if I'm going to do something like uh, crushing down, like I like to do like a my shoulder pin or Williams guard, I'll go three fingered for sure because I can create way more pressure and it's it's just it's just hard grip to break. But uh, if I go just gable, you don't want to hug with that. You want to create downward pressure into the AC joint. So the three finger grip allows me to do that. But like I said, if I go heel hook, I'm not going three fingered. You no. could. <laughs> you could. I just, I just, it's, 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 well, you know what it is? Is I come from the pro wrestling world. Yeah. And one of one of the books that was like not really a requirement, but all we really had back then was G, uh, Gene Labelle's book of of what was it? It was Finishing like holds? finish. It was it was. I can't I think remember. I know it. It's an encyclopedia of finishing holds. Yes, yes, that yeah. was like the one book that everybody that that we had, and and like that was one of the main things. Was like that thing, and then like and then everything. Else. But his dude, that book is so. I don't, Alex. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But I've seen it. I've never gotten to read it, but I've I've seen it. It's an, it's an, it's 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 awesome because it, it's real life shit. But coming from Oleg the pro wrestling, 
Remember, he had Oleg. Yeah, yes, yeah. And then he had Gokor, and he had Harut and Karo and Manny were just babies, basically, and it, young kids. Yeah. And, and his yeah. face and everything is like this. Yeah. <laughs> so what about your your training with Gene? Because you got to train with Gene. Yeah, Gene's awesome, man. He's like, like uh, if you guys want a good book, read his book, Godfather of Grappling. It's crazy. Gene's like a maniac. Yeah. Like, he he he's a nice guy but he really is a sadistic bastard like secretly he yeah. loves choking people out and fucking people up. you know but uh gene was just like i don't think you could get a tougher guy honestly i mean he was he i got pictures of him wrestling bears for commercials and shit and the, he's bleeding all over the place the guy thing is fucking him up well, yeah. he was a stuntman right he was a stuntman he was yeah. um he was in movies like like I guess he was an like he's he's basically like he's one he's of America's one treasures that nobody really un, right. really a lot of people know. You know he's that an American Tarantino's, Tarantino's last movie, uh, that Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Once upon a time, you know in Hollywood. the scene Brad Pitt grabs Bruce Lee and chucks him. Yeah, that that scene was actually uh, Gene LaBelle. Yeah. yeah. He, yes. he met Bruce Lee and everybody was like, Bruce is this badass. And he saw Bruce talking shit, picks him up and tosses him and then uh, throws him around, carries him around, like just fucking plays with him. And uh, and then he said later on they became friends. And But like all the submissions in Jeet Kune Do, uh, he learned that from Gene LaBelle. Yeah. Do you have yeah. a, a story he, with Gene? Just Elvis, some fight yeah. moves for Blue Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's done it all, man. He was indicted for murder and found guilty. That I did not know. (laughs) He's awesome. (laughs) You gotta love him, man. But he was actually a great judica. He and uh, I don't know if you know the story of the pinky. Do you know the real story? No, no. Okay, so this is before judo was in the Olympics, right? So the big national tournament was in Japan, and Gene goes over there. And remember, Gene has bright red hair, right? And he's a bear of a man, at least he, especially in his youth, right? So he goes over there and he's doing his laundry and a red shirt gets mixed in with his whites, right? And the gee turns pink. But Gene being a fucking gangster, just doesn't give a shit, goes out, competes in it anyways. And he said when he goes there, everybody's like laughing at him. Here's this red hair, giant American in a pink gee in, a, in Japan back then, you know, the yeah. match. And he goes out there and just crushes it and wins gold. And they're just, they used to call him the radish. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're, the red, who, they're like, who's this guy in the pink gi? American just came here and smoked our best guy, you know? Right. And uh, they were just blown away. And then uh, Eugene was also trained by the great Luthez, which was, Luthez was the best catch wrestler of his time period. And he trained with a lot of guys, but the one he trained with that I was a fan of was Ed the Strangler Lewis, because mm. Ed Lewis took Luthes to the next level. So I, I actually have lineage all the way back to the great Ed the Strangler Lewis. Now, Ed Lewis, when he was world champ, when he was catch wrestling, pro wrestling was real. It was it real, was 100% yeah. 100% real. Um, now, so they were really going at it, but Luthes was so good that no one could beat him so people stopped showing up, you know, because boxing was very rigged back then, too. So uh, nobody nobody would come. And back then, you made your money based off the house take. So Luthez, I mean, uh, 
uh, Ed Lewis got this great idea of throwing his title. And the other guy didn't even fucking know it. He throws his title and it was like, this guy beat Ed Lewis. And then they had an automatic rematch and the seats were packed. And then they were like, yeah, we're going to, they started making bang. Of course, you know, Ed won his title back and, yeah. you know, and then they start playing this game. So they were like, let's have some real matches and let's have some works. And then, uh, and the crowds loved the works because you could make it exciting and you could have some drama with it. And then it kind of just got deformed from there. And then goodbye pro wrestling and hello, uh, or you know, yeah. TV drama. WWE. But, that, but what's well, what's funny is is we've talked before because I, I'm friends with Brian. Yeah. Well, I, Brian. You, I was I was friends with him back in the day, like 2006, 2007. Yeah. But um, but now look at this guy, man. It, it, and it's funny. It's like the world calls him Daniel, and I'm like, what? What? No, no, his name's Brian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but this, you know, but you know, he's he now he's one roommate. of the yeah, he's one of the top guys on the planet. Yeah. Oh, crazy small world, right? Married one of the hottest women of all time. Hey. No. <laughs> Don't talk about the man's wife, bro. Yeah. But she, she, hey, she's a public figure. It's allowed. Let me ask you a question now. So I know you've seen the video. There's a video of one of your instructionals that went viral for all the best reasons of you talking about guys getting their oil checked or getting like their nuts yanked back. Oh, the uh, John Smith quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the slow uh, zoom in and Simon and Garfunkel playing. What did you think <laughs> when you first saw that video? I was laughing because I didn't. All right. So I'm very friendly with the camera crew and I joke with them because it's, it's a boring thing. Filming's annoying. Yeah, you know, and and you just hope your technique doesn't get sloppy because it's tiring. You know, when I, you know, each DVD takes me about eight hours of just filming. So it it because you take breaks and it's just exhausting under the lights, and you get a little silly. And uh, so the, I like telling stories. They just love my stories. I, got, I guess I got crazy stories compared to theirs. I guess, and uh, I start telling a story about a John Smith quote. Because uh, I'm I'm a butt dragger because I'm a wrestler, you know I like wrestling, and butt dragging is it's a part of wrestling. It's not everything. It's just a little part. It's just I use it to keep the hands on the weight on the hands so I can get in position and take the back or you know set up stuff and and then I I'm just telling the story and I'm mainly trying to just make the the cameraman laugh a little bit and he was but I'm just joking around. I really didn't think it would go in the film. I thought it would you know you get edited out. And uh, so I'm telling this story and I'm just being myself. I'm just being myself. I like to joke. And, and I had no idea what the guy, I feel bad for the guy, uh, the guy that was the training partner. He's a, he's a real good grappler and he was the nicest guy. And I was filming a, a guillotine video, I think. And yeah. you like to be a training partner for that video sucked for him, you know, cause he was getting guillotines are the worst to get drilled on, you know? Yeah. And I just felt so bad. I was trying to protect him. He was such a good dude. And then I was thinking this video comes out and he just, I had no idea. He was like, he was thinking I was going to shove my hand up his ass. I, that was <laughs> poor bastard. I was like, man, but it was, yeah, yeah. you, you can see, dying. you can see it going like, in his head. He was going, what, what did I sign up for? What, oh what's going to be about that? Uh, wait till my cradle DVD comes out because I was in rare form for that. <laughs> you I know, was, here, um, 
I was telling stories about my grandfather cutting the fingers off Japanese soldiers during the Second World War. Like I was, I, I'm just goofing hard. <laughs> the DVD came out great, but I was telling, I was trying to, I kept telling my training partner, I'm like, keep your shit together, man. Like, let's just get this done. But I couldn't help but have fun because the guys that were helping me film, like filming and the dummy there, right. they were really cool guys. They're funny and they just make me, you know, we just have a good time. We try to make the best of it. That's awesome. I mean, by the way, everybody, I would highly suggest picking up some of Neil's DVDs at uh, BJJ Fanatics. Uh, the the catch wrestling one is actually one of my favorites. That's one of those things that I've gotten more and more into. Like the deeper I get into grappling and understanding catch wrestling and really trying to apply as much as I can. Like in jujitsu, do you feel that you're like one of the 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 remaining lights for like catch wrestling like i feel like it doesn't get as much attention as it needs well i mean i that's not my battle uh i think people put me in that category a lot and i like catch wrestling i had a definitely influence on me but i i was a highest end grappler we did catch wrestling concepts we did jujitsu concepts we, they were great judo guys so on my ground game i do a lot of judo techniques a ton yeah. And it was really bizarre uh, when I started working with a lot of jujitsu guys, like high level guys from Brazil, they were like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's just judo, it's just judo techniques. And they were like, man, like, you know, cause they look at judo differently, you know? And I was like, man, you have, have you ever gone with a guy that's world level judo? They're like, oh no. I'm like, God, they're talking sick. <laughs> like you, you, they're Olympic level judo. It's like crazy good, you know? You know, these guys are like, you got to give respect to them. And like my buddy, Justin Flores, a damn ninja. He's yeah. the guy that, you know, he's a freaking ninja, but he also wrestled too. But, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of judo. So plus it's a world sport. And uh, so I'm a mix of all of that. So I, 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 I'm a highest end guy, but catch wrestling is part of it. I like the history of catch wrestling and I, I'm pro American history. You know, I'm a big history buff. So I, I like catch wrestling because it's a big American. It was a big American sport. And our, our grappling and wrestling goes very far back. You know, George Washington was a rough and tumble fighter. Lincoln was a wrestling champion and a rough and tumble champion. He broke a guy's neck and then he had to defend himself in court, you know, for, because, you know, but, you know, we have that in our roots. They go way back yeah. because uh, we were always brutish. Americans always been dogs. And then the English brought their form of catch wrestling over. We learned it, but we kept our rough, nasty style of, you know, mean, gritty farm boy life, you know, and we interjected that into catch wrestling and made it really more dark and twisted than what the Brits would do. So uh, because that's the American way back then, you know, we were trying to build a country, you know, life was different back then. And uh, I mean, my grandfather said that he ate meat maybe once a month and it was probably cat. So it was a lot different living back in the twenties, you know, and for a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah, anyhow, so I'm, I'm not pushing like Jake Shannon pushes catch wrestling big. It's very important to him. He was a big wrestling buff too. Uh, Billy Robinson was a Lunch. legendary catch guy. Lots and, of lunch. Uh, <laughs> but uh, for me, I, I like to talk about catch wrestling, but a lot of problems I have with catch wrestlers is they speak bad about jujitsu. And I, I think that's a big mistake because if you're not studying jujitsu, you're doing something wrong. You can't just study catch wrestling, in my opinion. 
because catch wrestling guys didn't play the bottom like like they do today. The sport, the, when you change the rules, you change the sport. I, I mean, if you want to do jujitsu, but we focus mainly on takedowns and limited time on the ground, you have judo basically. So the, the rules make the sport. So nowadays the rules are different. So if you're going to do like Jake actually does traditional catch matches with pins and the whole deal. And that's his push. I think it's great. I, I want to keep that. I think catch wrestling should stay alive, just like traditional jujitsu should stay alive. Um, you know, there's all types of styles of jujitsu these days. You're you know, all like, about the evolution. Yeah. I think Gracie Baja changed a lot about jujitsu and, you know, for the, the, for the good and the bad, you know, uh, it depends how you look at it, but uh, that's just my opinion. All right. You know, but I'm just, I'm a highest stand guy. I preach highest stand. I like catch wrestling. I like jujitsu. Uh, I love judo. I love those things. And I try to train it all. I love wrestling especially folk style. I fucking love folk style wrestling. I'm a big wrestling buff. I've learned so much from wrestlers. And what I don't like is a lot of jujitsu guys, not all of them, obviously, a lot of them don't recognize wrestling as grappling. And I just think that's a horrible mistake because yeah. you get what, like, why is it guys like Phil Davis with hardly any experience in jujitsu can go in and just torch guys in grappling? Like, yeah. It's one of it's one of the four it's one of the four pillars of, of fighting. There's four and as far as I'm concerned, there's four pillars. Uh, it's wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, and 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 at least jujitsu as far as you know ground attacks or of some kind, you know, or grappling. I guess no gi grappling. Right. But wrestling, you have to figure out how to get somebody to the ground. If, if you can't get somebody to the ground, I mean, it worked for Ben Askren for so long. Well, that's the thing. Like Ben was a funk guy, so he yeah. he he was a great guy at leverage. He was a great guy at give to get. He was a great grappler. I mean, I watched him grapple one time with a dude, and he was doing some weird ass shit, but it was awesome. Yeah, like he it was just awesome. But like he had his principles, like I keep my hips above his head or whatever he was doing, and uh, those principles are interesting. And if you're not studying those principles to get a a different view it's uh, i can't win everything off your back you can't always look for sweeps sometimes the answer is to get up and snap you know if that's what i'm saying like if you want to be a master grappler like if you want to be a master jujitsu guy it's its own sport bjj then you're set bjj has its own thing but if you want to be a master grappler you better know how to do wrestling you better know how to do Greco. You better know how to do grappling on the ground you better know the jujitsu side of the house you better know some of the wrestling side of the house because there's so many elements that reach grappling. I posted a photo the other day that I think I, uh, I saw someone else post, and I just reposted it, of uh, ancient Greece, someone a centaur doing a heel hook. Yeah. So, like, our stuff has been around forever. We're just rediscovering it, mm -hmm. and we're forming it in a new light because things have changed since back then. But this is nothing new. Grappling's been around forever. So I, I always recommend guys, like, a lot of people don't want to do wrestling because it's very hard, it's very tiring, very taxing. It requires some athletics. Um, it's a very tough sport. But I've, I've taken so much from wrestling and adapted it to my ground game. It's insane. But, you know, like even simple things like head pummeling. I teach this to black belts, and they're just blown away. I'm like, you spend a day with a wrestler, you're going to learn this. You know, some of my arm drags and some of the way I do stuff, they're just totally bizarre. Train with a Greco guy. They can master this stuff. They're sick with this stuff. You know, 
I do front headlocks different than most people because I train with those guys and I saw all the options. You know, it's crazy. There's so much you can learn once you step out of that box. But if you're in the wrestling world and you want to learn all of grappling, you got to go into a jiu-jitsu gym too. You got to learn those elements. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, uh, you're a master when you die, you know. Uh, it takes that long. I mean, this, this, the game is always it's so exciting, you know. It's an exciting game. It's always adapting. Well, uh, so I, I know we're running short on time, but yeah. I got one. I got one last question that I need to know before I do the closeout question. This isn't um, it's two questions. It's a, I have two last questions. My first one: How the hell do you talk people into growing a friggin' mustache around you? <laughs> Everybody I know has that filthy mustache. I still see Nick once in a while. Um, Patrick used to have one. He, he, he kept it. Well, Pat, Pat, Pat Cummings started it, I think. And uh, and we – because I had my own little team of guys, I still do, called the Filthy Few. And uh, and that we were all just kind of maniacs, you know, and uh, just being crazy, you know, like old school men back in the, back in the day with strong mustaches that, you know, are – I feel like today men are – they're like it's weird like i just you know i think about teddy roosevelt a lot and if he oh. looked at if he looked at this generation what oh. then, he would be so like bad. we lost we, we lost. lost you know like what happened to the old gritty men there's still some out there but it just kind of there's a lot now they're just very sensitive and i mean i remember i just i'm i don't know i'm an ex-military guy I, i'm i'm an irish kid I'm from the Northeast, Boston area, and I was in the Navy. So I'm very gritty on a lot of the way I talk and how I am, and I, I have to work on it a lot because some people don't like it. Because, like, to me, certain things don't offend me. Like, if I see you doing a technique and you're overthinking it, I don't want to say just you're overthinking it. I'll say, yeah, you're just skull-fucking it a little bit. But, like, I'm saying that to kind of, like, because I'm correcting you, but I'm trying to make you laugh a little bit too, you know, like it's not a big deal, but I've had guys like, dude, don't talk to me that way. And I'm Shut like, Shut up. Really? It's like, man, all right. I I thought we were just a couple guys being dudes, but I, I guess not. I'll talk to you like I'm talking to a lady. I gotta be super correct, you know? And I just don't like it. I'm old school and uh yeah, I'm just maybe too old school. I don't know. You just inspired me. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt the when my guys Don't are – No, 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 no. It's, it's, I'm going to adopt something from Teddy Roosevelt. When my guys are hurt and they're, they're, they think they're gassed, they think they got nothing more, I'm just going to tell them, hey, Teddy Roosevelt finished the speech. You finished the speech. I, listen, I just say toughen up, buttercup. Keep no, no, do you know that story? Wait, wait, Alex, do you know that story about Teddy? What? Well, I mean, he I got, know a lot about Teddy. I mean, he fucking was boxing when he was a president. Then he became yeah. a Jew black belt. It was so funny. Is he actually called the war with two generations before the war? He was very concerned because he said they're too soft. And we yeah. call that generation our greatest generation. Yeah. So Teddy was fucking must have been hard motherfucker. Well, well you know? Teddy Teddy was doing a, he was doing a speech. He got shot. And he finished the friggin' speech. But you also need to understand bullets back then are a little different than bullets now. So no, I mean, and, and, well, no, no. I'll give you, credit where credit is due. Don't take, don't take that away from Teddy, man. Yeah, not only that, he if had, you got if, shot back then. You would 
step off the fucking stage. Yeah. Yeah. He finished the fucking speech. Time he out. sat up there and, said, and he finished his speech. That's what I'm talking about. That's American grit right there. That's that's what I call filth, man. You, yeah. I call I call filth. It means American grit in my own twisted way. Right, right. I dig pretty it. much it. Actually, uh, Sean, I actually have a guy that I want to talk to you because he's built kind of like you. And I remember when I was in uh, Florida, I watched your style. You adapted your style to your body type uh, on grappling very, very well. And I talked to him about you. And then since you contacted me, I'm like, hey, that guy I was telling you about that you can model your grappling game after, he just contacted me. It would be cool if I had him call you just to of get course. some tips. Of course. All right, great. Yeah, he's built just, he's built almost just like you, great kid. And uh, he's actually a walk, Iraq war veteran too. So you'll like oh, Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope. What's your last question, Sean? My last question is the same one we've been doing. Neil, we've all been in quarantine. That means a lot of people have been watching a lot of shows on Netflix, Prime, all this stuff. What are the top three you've been watching? You know, I watched a little documentary today on Netflix that had me rolling laughing uh, called Operation Odessa. And, it's these guys are characters, but just one dude, Tony, he's a gangster from uh, Columbia. He was hilarious, man. Yeah, he was so gangster, man. I was crying. I, me and I have Taiwan Claxton and AJ Matthews staying with me right now. We were in tears, but it's not meant to be funny. It's just uh, these guys are not. But uh, as far as shows, I don't know, man. I I put down some HBO ones that I thought were good, but uh, that's just standing out right now. That's really standing out. You didn't watch Tiger King like everybody else? I, I you know I don't see what the rave was. I see? thought the guy, I mean, the guy was outrageous. Uh, yeah, and yeah. The thing, but here I, am, I, here I am watching this fucking idiot abusing tigers. And he's a psycho. And he's a character, yeah. And he's funny because he's a character. But I don't think he's a guy worth remembering, you know? Like, I don't think he's a good dude. No, and well, I, I kind of felt like every, it was kind of hard to find people to like in the documentary. I'm like, no, there wasn't. Everybody loves why a good am I shit show. Documentary about these guys. I, I don't give a fuck what happens to them. You know? Yeah, none of them. None of them. None of them have any redeeming qualities at all. At but, all. But what we learn is, if you got a little bit of meth and some tigers, you can turn straight guys gay. <laughs> <Come here>. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That was bizarre. <laughs> what the so, hell are you doing? All hard, he's all just taking. He is taken straight out of the playbook from Iceberg Slim. That's all he's doing. He uh, was playing the Iceberg Slim rules on all these guys. Just I just got an, I'm just happy I know what to look for. Two weeks later, he marries again. Yeah. He's, a character. he's a character, man. That's Pimpin. Sure. Oh, Some see. reporter asked Trump if he would pardon him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, I'll look into it. I'll look into yeah, it. Yeah, he had no idea who he was he talking about. He had no idea. About. What the hell are you talking about? That guy's dealing with the coronavirus and the economy crash, and you ask him about the damn Tiger King. No, that guy should never Rick be allowed Gordon. back in the White House, ever. <laughs> See, at that point, wouldn't you think someone comes up and be like, you might want to skip this one. Good Next question. Next yeah. Question. Talk like, about something relevant. Yeah. No. See, like, uh, so for me, Sean, it's only, like, the last week now, it's been just uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like I'm a oh, big yeah, yeah, yeah. Eastwood fan, so it's just watching dude. the the Man with No Name series over and over, man. Dude, High Plains Drifter, one of my yeah. favorite. Yeah, so, I, I, most I people watched, don't even get it that he's a ghost. I even watched Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry's on Netflix right now. I was like, yeah. and yeah. Dude, dude, the worst part is is, is that movie's in the beginning. He gets shot in the leg. And he doesn't even limp. 
gets shot in the leg, and he just walks. The cars are everywhere. The the fire hydrant's going everywhere. He gets shot in the leg. He just walks up to the guy and asks him if he feels lucky. Some of his suits, though, he, his suits look so ridiculous, oh, yeah. you know, back in the day, the big tie and everything. I'm like, man, it's not intimidating at all. But he had the wraparound yeah. glasses. He looked Brad with those wraparound like, <laughs> they get like the outlaw Josie Wales, and he's like walking around with the the little kerchief. Like we can, we can kill the oh, kerchief, man. boss. Like we could just keep going here. He was he was great in so many movies, man. Oh, for sure. Oh, Gran Torino. He was the greatest. Yeah. Old man. I was like, man, that's gonna be me one day. <laughs> <laughs> just pissing off the neighbors with a with an awesome car. Yeah, just being a prick to everyone. But he still goes out like a total fucking badass. Oh, man. Carrying a wrench with him around. Oh, in, a, in, a, shit. in a 1911. Just for the hell of it. Just a can. All right, uh, Coach. Awesome. Thank you very much for doing this. Listen, anytime you want to come on, I'd love to have you. I know I got like a million other questions that, that I'd love to ask you. But you got shit yeah. to do. No, I, I had fun, man. This was great. I love chatting with you guys. Yeah. Good seeing you. Man. No, Thank you long. too. I'll, uh, I'll try and find some of the old footage I have and, uh, and shoot it your way. I know I got some good shots of you and stuff. I appreciate that. And hopefully I'll be out in Florida sometime when this is all over. Come to Vegas, we can all get filthy, you know? Uh, I'm down. I'm down for a Vegas trip. I need one. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you or, or check out all your stuff, they can find you at Neil Melanson MMA uh, and Instagram. You got a website. If they want to buy the DVDs, BJJ Fanatics, where else can they get a hold of you? Uh, well, my website is going to get redone. That thing is old. It's so old it could vote, yeah. honestly. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to uh, have it rebuilt this year. I got plans this year to start uh, teaching through my website. So what I want to do is do private lessons. Cause I have a lot of people internationally that want to work with me, but they can't. So I can do uh, privates via online. And then what I want to do is offer uh, a thing where I, you send me footage of your grappling and your, um, your body type. And uh, I get, to, I'll, what I'll do is I'll develop a grappling system for you based on your natural attributes, your body type, your background, uh, and what I think you would be good at and stuff like that. And then form a system and sequences for you to drill. And uh, that will be a service I want to provide. And I'll be selling t-shirts and stuff like that. And, um, but, uh, my, my triangle book is still available. It's still selling. Yeah. So mastering triangle chokes on Amazon, uh, and, uh, BJJ Fanatics, my K guard DVD is sick, or you can just buy the download even cheaper. And then my, uh, cradle of filth DVD will be out shortly. I think that's awesome. So that won't be hilarious. You guys will have some funny oh, bits. That's on, that's on the, to, to get list for sure. Um, coach. Thank you again for doing this. Looking forward to the yeah. new DVD, all the other stuff, and hopefully we'll catch up with you soon in, uh, in person. Yeah, my pleasure. It was great seeing you guys. Great talking with you. You too. Good Take care. You. All right, stay filthy. <laughs> That's it, folks. As you can see, Coach Neil is an awesome guy. He's freaking hilarious. Um, the best. Thanks so much for doing this. Like I said, I've, I've been a fan of his ever since I first met him at the Black Zillions and I've always kind of been just looking from, from the outskirts and, and love all the work he does. If you want to check out some of his stuff, please, please go check out his Instagram. Go check out his DVDs. I promise you, you are not going to regret it. You are going to, uh, to really enjoy every single piece of knowledge he shoots out there. Um, 
I'll throw in a couple of highlights too. I think we should throw in a couple of the highlights of his stuff on the, on the Instagram. So you guys kind of really get an idea of how sick of a grappler this man truly is. Don't forget to support the podcast by subscribing and don't forget to support the podcast by supporting our sponsors. Check out Choke Aloha, Jiu-Jitsu Soap Co., Giraffe Choke. All their links are down below in the video. If you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, you can find it on the website as well. Check out jujitsuradio.com. As always, you can get a load of this guy, uh, at Gorilla Boy BJJ on Instagram. You can follow me at Sonder Marketing on Instagram. With that being said, thank you very much for all your support. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace. You can't leave <laughs>